Hello, you are listening to The Copcast uh, from Shoesmiths with three cop lawyers. Uh, my name is Lauren. I'm an associate in the Court of Protection team. I'm Rebecca Bristow. I'm a senior associate in the Court of Protection team. And I'm Lucy Taylor, a principal associate in the Court of Protection team. Welcome. So we are back for episode three. Thanks for joining um, us. Yep, yeah, it's great to be here and really exciting. We're in our actual podcasting suite this time, <laughs> um, which um, I don't know if any photographic evidence will ever be released, but I can tell you it's very colourful, it's very exciting and it's very techy, which I'm totally not used to, <laughs> clearly. Um, so we've had some feedback from the last couple of episodes and touching on that, we thought we'd go back to basics a little bit with this one, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Because... The whole intention of this was it was a bit of a kitchen chat and we are conscious that we sometimes skip over phrases and we bound them about because we know what they mean and we're conscious that maybe listeners you don't. So today we're going to start off right at the start for us with deputy ships. I'm going to have a chat about what they are um, and we're going to try and um, do some um, busting of some myths that exist around uh, what a deputy is, what a deputy ship is. Um, And it really goes back to episode one where we spent quite a lot of time talking about lasting powers of attorney and why they were important and how they helped you to plan for the future and ensure that you had the attorney that you wanted looking after your affairs when you can't. Um, So we're going right back to what happens if you can't make an LPA and um, either that's because it's a an unforeseen situation Mm. such as you know maybe you've been involved in an accident you've Mm. lost capacity what happens if you've had a stroke or what happens actually if it's too early so the you know people who are born with brain injuries um will never formulate capacity Mm. people who've been born with a severe learning disability will never have capacity to make an lpa and then at the opposite end of that scale we've got people who old elderly clients who just haven't got around to it so what happens then well I mean in a nutshell it's called a deputy ship and that's where we're going today so uh over to you guys um so Rebecca what is a deputy so a deputy is somebody appointed by the court to make decisions on behalf of another individual okay and they can make decisions about a person's property and affairs yeah as a property and affairs deputy yeah, or health and welfare decisions if appointed for a specific decision. Yeah, you can have blanket welfare orders, health and deputy, um, yeah, sorry, health and welfare deputyship orders, but they are quite They're very rare, rare still, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So is it possible that you could have a deputy and an attorney? Feasibly, yes. It could be that somebody's got around to making provision about health and welfare or property and affairs but hasn't done both and so a deputy has to be appointed to step into their shoes for one or the other with mm. yeah and I think I think it's probably more common that people do make the property and financial affairs LPAs these days but don't necessarily deal with the welfare aspects and if there are very complex welfare issues then that could potentially end up in the court of protection absolutely mm. I think it's important to remember that they are two separate documents um, power of attorney for property and affairs and power of attorney for health and welfare and the court deal with them very separately. Yeah, and I, and I think in those situations, if you ever did end up with that, you would have to think very carefully as to whether the attorneys, the attorney or attorneys could work with the deputy and get yeah. that mix right, definitely. Because yeah. we do, 
we do hear a lot of the terminology just bounded around, don't we? Yeah, and it, you hear deputy, deputyship, attorney, attorneyship, and people use them interchangeably. And it, I think it's it you need to be clear that a deputy is appointed by the court, an attorney is appointed by the individual and you can only be a deputy once you've been given that authority in a court order yeah and the deputy only comes into play when the individual whose affairs we're talking about has lost capacity yeah, yeah. you when can only make uh, a lasting power of attorney when the individual still has capacity, capacity. Uh, and if you're past that point you no longer have that op option probably yeah, so that that's the fundamental crux of the difference between the two, isn't it? Incapacity. The capacity yeah. issue. The capacity yeah. issue. Yeah. 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 Um, with that in mind then, what what kind of situations arise where we might be thinking about whether a deputy's needed? Um Lauren, what do you what are your thoughts on that? Um I think it it's a case of um observing what's going on in somebody's life and if you reach a point the crux really is if somebody's starting to lose capacity or if you've got suspicions that somebody's perhaps not functioning as well as they had previously um your starting point will always be looking at capacity and whether it is or isn't there um again that's a whole other topic and it's it's not a black and white do you, issue do you think sometimes it, it kind of you know these things in my experience tend to fall into people's laps um Absolutely. Very rarely is there advanced planning when it comes to a deputyship. Mm. It tends to be a situation when um, a relative might go into hospital and sadly can't then go back to their home and it transpires as a result of that that they are now lacking capacity. Exactly. And a family member ends up in a situation then where they're having to make decisions and they don't have any authority to do so is, is, yeah, the, is the long and short of it. Um, Almost overwhelmingly, the clients that come to us for this kind of thing, something, something has happened, something has changed in their life that yeah. means that family members around them or it might be a local authority or somebody else um, ends up having to reach out to someone like us to say, look, mm. this is what's happened. We need some help here. Um, and it's not always where somebody's got a lot of money. Um, it can be multifaceted. You know, if it's decisions need making in somebody's life, um, whether there's money there or not. And what is a financial and property decision is quite a broad spectrum. And like Rebecca said earlier, um, there's no a, a, a partner or a spouse or a or parent doesn't automatically have the right to make those decisions or move funds around or do any of those things. So you can often find yourself at a, at a log ahead where a decision needs to be made. It transpires that you don't have that legal authority, and that's where the court becomes involved. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're in that situation where you you know you you've got a relative who's lost capacity naturally there are things that will need to be done um and quite often the sticking point is data protection isn't it Absolutely. so you know, for example you ring up bt and you say my relative's gone into care and i just want to close down their account and mm. they won't be able to discuss that with mm. you or you want to cancel the utility bills that's you know a fairly minor sort of thing to be doing we're not even at the stage where we're talking about do we need to sell their property do we need to access cash in bank accounts mm. do we need to cash in um an investment to pay for their care how do we pay for their care um you're not even at that stage you you've already hit that brick wall mm. because you're just trying to close the the phone account mm. um so i always think that a deputy ship is the key that unlocks data protection because it gives authority to that individual to, yeah. Yeah. to be able to make decisions um 
and uh, to, to actually do the act um, that you would otherwise be doing. Absolutely. Um, Interestingly, I find it's always those sort of more minor things, as you might put it, that end up being the most difficult ones to negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, BT, yeah. we are looking at you. Yeah, yeah. British gas. <laughs> okay, bad, bad example. Um, but, you know, it, it, You're any, right, though. it's anybody, yeah. you know, uh, even ringing up to cancel someone's newspaper subscription. Because yeah, think you about are all the basic that, life admin. You are admin. not that individual. And, exactly. you know, you have to clear security whenever you call anybody. Yeah. We all know that. We all do it. And we don't really even think about it because it's our personal information. And, and it's absolutely right that companies are doing that because they're keeping our personal information safe. Um, and, and the deputyship order in this case is the kind of way to step beyond that because you step into the shoes mm. of the individual when you've got that deputyship order. That's what the order allows you to do. It does really hold some weight as well, I'd say. It's a, it's it's a, a really court document tool. that's sealed by the court. And I mm. think as soon as people see that, they think, okay, yeah, yeah this is Yeah, definitely. Enough. And I think you're right to say that it's not... Um, it's not something that people should just be thinking, okay, well, this doesn't really apply to me because I haven't got very much money. If you have a bank account, full stop, whether mm. it's got £50 in it or you know, £5 million in it, you are the only person in titles who yeah. operate that account, nobody else. And your next of kin or your spouse or your you know, husband, wife, siblings, whoever they are, they're not going to be able to access that account. Without. And everything has a paper trail these days, doesn't yeah. it? You know, if you've got a mobile phone, you've got a mobile phone contract. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you have a car, you buy a car on finance, any of those things, like lots of things can happen on a daily basis that involve you having to make agreements yeah. or agreeing contracts that you don't think you're making or agreeing contracts, but it does involve that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've touched on it a little bit, but what does a deputy do then? Becca, what, what? I always think the best way to describe this is if you think of a concierge service. So anything that that individual needs to do with their life, mm -hmm. which covers their property affairs in any way, shape or form, as Lauren was saying, it can be as basic as a utility bill up to having to sell their home with the relevant authority. The a deputy can do and that means the role of a deputy is extremely varied. So one day you could be negotiating for care home a care home placement and care home fees and how that's going to be um, funded. And the next day you could be simply trying to close a, a BT account. Um, it can go so far as when you have more complex matters, um, managing a care team, employing staff, an individual. Um, so it, it, it covers the whole spectrum because as you said, you put yourself into the position of that individual and do everything that they, mm. they can't make a decision for themselves. Anything that might normally happen in somebody's day-to-day -day life. Yeah. So you both act on behalf of deputies and support deputies with, with that role, as do I. Um, what things have you done this week? So I, I this morning have been negotiating with the local authority over direct payments to pay for my client's care. Mm -hmm. So without the deputyship order, we wouldn't have been able to do that. We wouldn't have had the authority to do that. Um, so that's that's something I've done. What have you both been up to? I would say things that anything that needs paying for, we can end up getting involved in. So this week in particular, I've had a disaster with a boiler and you think... You don't, you don't necessarily assume that your lawyer will be dealing with boiler negotiations for you, but it's just been an absolute nightmare and it's there's contracts involved and money will be changing hands and it's going to cost money. Um, so it, I'm getting involved in it. I can be an advocate for that client. If it needs doing, it needs doing. God, we sound really exciting, don't we? <laughs> Boilers and direct payments. We're living the dream. Or should I make it slightly more interesting? Go Please then. do. <laughs> so uh, yesterday I was liaising with a criminal solicitor um, supporting my client who's on um, trial for um, a criminal offence that he may or may not have 
been guilty of. Um, but that involved liaising with the solicitor, liaising with his case manager to make sure that he was supported to attend the hearing. Um, it was also involved uh, supporting the case by looking at his psychiatric history. So um, liaising with doctors who we've instructed previously to give him support in terms of his depression. Um, so that, so that's that, more the welfare side of it as well, isn't it? It is. But when you make that, if you break that down into the more fundamental side of things, I organise a taxi for him to get to court. I organise yeah. somebody to attend mm. with him. So I, I paid the bill for that person to attend with him. I supported um, getting legal aid for him so that he had representation at the hearing. So yes, it all sounds like it's welfare related and it's really exciting in a slightly off the wall, slightly different from a boiler case. But fundamentally that was transactional and, yeah, and exactly. dealing with those elements of it. Uh, lots of welfare issues require somebody to be paid. Ultimately. Yeah. Yes, and that's where the crossover comes exactly. a lot of the time, isn't it? Exactly. Mm. We're not necessarily advising on what intervention they might need for somebody's welfare or health, but if it's known to be needed, we can go about organising that. Yeah, there's definitely a crossover, and it's something that the Court of Protection have been very live to, that, you know, you can't just um, be a deputy looking after somebody's money in isolation of yeah. the welfare issues, which is something you touched on earlier, Rebecca. Um, Lauren, so if you are thinking or... You know, if the situation presents where a relative has lost capacity or maybe you have, um, you know, a parent and there are five or six brothers and sisters in the family and somebody is saying, well, someone needs to do it. Mm. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know, who's going to do this? Who um, volunteers as tribute? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what advice can we give to people who are you know, in that situation? They're either thinking that, oh God, I might need to become a deputy here or actually I, I feel a, a moral obligation to become a deputy here. Yeah, I think that follows on quite well from what we've just been discussing as well. It's, you know, you might think that it's very easy when somebody asks you or can you be my attorney or, could, you know, can, can you be so-and-so's deputy um you think it might be quite a straightforward paper exercise but it is all consuming and comprehensive and you if somebody asks you to do it you need to be considering how that's going to impact your life whether you are an appropriate person and whether you're going to be able to give it the time and care that it needs um who can be a deputy in in theory anyone but over the age of 18 over the age of 18 but there are also caveats so you and presumably you, you have to have mental capacity yourself well exactly that's a good point <laughs> uh, also there's things like if you've ever been bankrupt or if you've got any records that would uh, raise concerns about your ability to act um, so those things will rule you out it's worth noting um, that's really interesting because and I, I've got to reference this here because Eagle-eyed ones um, that were watching EastEnders might hmm. have noticed this week that Sonia reappeared on the scene um, and announced that she had um, been made Doc Cotton's power of attorney. And, okay, it's slightly different because it's a, an attorneyship and not a deputyship, but the same principle applies. And I'm sure that Sonia had stolen money from Doc <laughs> And I don't necessarily think that she ended up with a criminal conviction, but um, I mean, yeah, if if you are not great at managing money or if you Absolutely. are, you know, but because the individual can't say, well, you know, Dot, presumably, I'm going to assume Dot hasn't got capacity for now. And I'm going to say, well, you know, Dot's lost capacity. Um, if that were an individual who's lost capacity, anybody can be the deputy. How... How do we ensure that the, dep the proposed deputy 
isn't somebody who's stolen money or you know, how does that work? This is the thing, I think. So the, I suppose what's different about a deputy as opposed to an attorney, the fundamental difference is there are so many more um, regulations and there's, there's a lot more accountability there for that person who's acting in that role. Um, so firstly, the court has to decide whether you are an appropriate person. So it's the um, court that decides, not necessarily exactly. me or my brother or sister you can have a discussion and work out who might be appropriate, but ultimately you you would have to make an application and the court would ultimately decide. Um, but also you don't want to, you want to be thinking about whether you want to be put forward for something like that before that application even gets made. So if you already struggle, like, like you say, Lucy, if you already struggle with sort of live admin tasks, even though most of us all find those probably a little bit annoying, if you already struggle to keep on top of your own you're probably not an ideal person to be a deputy um you've got to, you're going to have to be doing things like filling in accounts um reporting to the court you have to take out a security bond which is sort of like an insurance policy yeah i mean <laughs> can you imagine i mean if most of our husbands actually were put in a situation where they had to do these things if they ever had to become our deputies i'm not sure mine would cope i'm not sure he would even know the basics of financial management that's it really important when you're considering whether or not you do want to be appointed isn't it because this is a purely legal role you're taking on so and you are responsible for somebody's finances and reporting to the court essentially for what you're doing um it's not a caring role so you're not you're not considered a carer um and it's if you think about how much goes into running your own day-to-day -day life mm. and the amount of time it takes to deal with your own life admin, if you like, yeah. you're doing that for two people and you don't get paid for it. So as, a, as an individual acting as a lay deputy, as you'd be coined, um, you can't charge that person for what you're doing. And it will be time consuming. It's almost like a second job. It is, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we literally do it as a job. Well, it's totally. a day yeah. job. This, this, this tells okay, you how. we don't just do it for one person. But um, yeah, it's really time consuming. I, I, I have to say that I don't know why anybody would ever choose to be a lay deputy. I mean, I'm an only child and I think there is that feeling that, oh God, it's a, a burden and I have mm. to do it because of that yeah. moral obligation. Because if I don't do it, who else is going to do it? Um, I mean, there are other options, aren't there? This is true. I mean, we obviously we have a job and are talking to you here today. So there are people like us about who can who can do things for you. And a lot of people come to us and they think, I'm not against the idea of doing this for my parent or for my sibling. Um, they just acknowledge that it's it's a, a an all-consuming piece of work and if they not gonna, if they're not going to get paid for it and it is going to take up an awful lot of time, it might not necessarily just be a case of, well, I'm not doing it if I'm not getting paid for it. It might just be a case of, I don't have the time to commit to this mm -hmm. and I don't trust myself to do the best job that needs to be done for this person. I, th I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, in the context of the person's affairs that you would be looking after, you would be managing is the right word. Yeah, yeah. you're like a project manager for that person. You, you have to be competent that's Absolutely. that's really key and you know you have to look at this as a, almost like a competency based question because you're sort of saying okay this person has these assets do i know what i'm doing yeah um you know, do i have the right skill set it's no good kind of never having managed financial affairs or having very limited exposure exactly um, and then agreeing to manage somebody's affairs who might be you know a 
business owner who might have investment portfolios, invest, even investment properties. Okay, you can seek advice and guidance and professional services. And I think that's really key for anybody becoming a deputy and they recognize that they want to do it but they need help there is obviously mm. the ability to do that but you have to have a basic level of understanding Absolutely. if you're going to enter into those and you don't situations. always know what you're letting yourself in for no. when somebody asks you to be a deputy we get this all the time if we get a referral from a local authority for instance we say this is this person's name and this is their date of birth here you are you are their deputy and it's just like mm. oh okay what do we do now and you can you can it's like opening up a pandora's box you discover all this i think we mentioned this in one of the previous episodes it's like you're opening up somebody's entire life and if even if you're somebody's child i know for instance if I, you know if i was my dad's deputy for instance he's a he's got his fingers in all sorts of pies he loves that stuff and he's very secretive about it um so if if so ever if ever the day came if ever the day came i'd be i'd be completely inundated and yeah. it would be absolute chaos yeah um but you tend to find that we get um quite a lot of applications or referrals from existing attorneys don't we where That's something true. untoward has happened or and deputies as well yeah because i don't think any um you know i have to I have to have good faith in in humanity and say mm. that i don't think anybody who starts off um you know thinking about being a deputy and even being appointed as a deputy or an attorney um does so with the intention of you know doing a bad job mm. no but it's purely a lot of the time that they just don't understand what mm. it entails, yeah. what, what it involves, the extent of it. Um, and that's where a lot of deputyships, um, they just don't quite go to plan. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, that can result in financial loss for the individual mm. because they haven't quite been dealt with properly. So there is that. So. I mean, God, we're not making it sound very attractive, are we? <laughs> um, I, I mean, deputies have a hugely powerful role to play um, in supporting people and making decisions for people where they, they can't, where they've lost capacity to do so. Um, it's a really responsible role. We've heard that. But there must be some form of accountability and supervision. I mean, yeah, there absolutely is. Um, so... That's the difference. I th one of the key differences, as Lauren touched on, between um, being an attorney and being a deputy is that for everything we've said about it being really important for you to put your thoughts, wishes and feelings in place and to, put, to, to enter into a power of attorney, attorneys aren't supervised in the same way that deputies are. So mm -hmm. deputies are supervised by um, the court supervisory body, the Office of the Public Guardian. Um, you... I think the way I've explained this to clients before is you literally have to account for every penny in and every penny out Um by. quite rightly so as well it's someone mm. else's money yeah. yeah so you have to provide accounts to the office of the public guardian every year to show what you've been doing how you've made decisions um where money's come from and gone um and if there is a question if something doesn't add up you you will be asked to explain what's happened you will be pulled to account um and that's where the surety bond sometimes comes into play um where there has been some unfortunately it does happen where a deputy's acted not in favour of the individual and they've had a financial loss and the surety bond can be called upon where it's been proved that there's been some fraudulent action or, or untoward action. Um, it, it's also what a deputy doesn't do. So, um, I mean, you're expected to have, you know, 
access to benefit information, benefit mm. knowledge almost mm. as yeah, well. Yeah, this is because something that's often missed, isn't the, it? The OPG, you know, will go through the accounts and they'll look at, you know, how what money's come in, what money's gone out, how it's been spent. But they'll also go on a deeper level. You know, the, the OPG will expect you to be looking at you know, where a client's money is. Is yeah. it safe? Is yeah. it in the right place? You know, how is how is that investment doing? It's the active management side Absolutely. of it. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, are they receiving the right benefits? Um Obviously, you know, there's there's a there's a further issue there if somebody is not receiving the right benefits mm. and they may have been receiving benefits to which they're not entitled to for a number of years. But as a deputy, if you then don't identify that and deal with that moving forward, you know, that's an issue. Absolutely. So it's not just the accounting aspect, it's the it's the the management, yeah. you know, mm. it's the management aspect and it's not it's not passive. You have Absolutely to be not. active in the role and the OPG will ask you questions in the report to gather that information you know, for example if somebody has got a house and they've gone into care and they may be funding their care from elsewhere from other means from other cash what's happening to the house yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's making sure that that's not just a deteriorating asset um, also, even something like your insurance may not even cover the property anymore if it's empty. Because it's unoccupied. Yeah. So it, it is very much about that active management and the supervision from the OPG is there to support deputies, but very much helping to support them to do an active job. Yeah, it's it's, it's an encouragement, isn't it, rather than mm. a, a punishment, I would say. Oh, absolutely. I suppose that's a key difference between deputyships and attorneys, again, in that you don't have, you don't have those same checks and balances in place for lasting powers of attorney you don't have a, well the key thing is the security bond really you don't have that mm-hmm. quite literal insurance policy for a lasting power of attorney that means if something does go wrong with something like that i mean there is a bond that's come to market that may there assist has, in, yeah. in those situations I do think that's a good idea actually um but it but it's certainly not you know as well it's not mandatory mm, yeah um in the same way that it is for a deputy probably not widely known about for in, for lay people we can take out a bond. Well, we have to, don't we? We have yeah. to take out a bond yes. um, yeah. for, for any deputyship. The deputy has to maintain a, a security or security. It's all interchangeable. Again, it's that use of language in, yeah. in our field. But they have to take out a bond. And it is almost, well, it is an insurance premium. And essentially, if a deputy um, doesn't quite get it right or defaults and there's potential financial loss sustained, mm-hmm. um, then the bond, a lot of people think that the bond will pay out um to reimburse people the the total loss and that may be the case in terms of the amount that's paid out but usually the purpose of the bond um is to essentially provide that individual uh, with a couple of years worth of shortfall between their income and expenditure so that the loss that's been sustained can be investigated now in practice um when the bond is called in, it can be called in up to the maximum amount. But whoever's calling in the bond um, and working with the public guardian to do so has to demonstrate that there's a clear mm. loss mm. Um, and has to, to demonstrate how that loss has, has, has occurred. And it might be that by the time the bond is paid out, it does actually reinstate the loss. But actually, um, that isn't the purpose of the bond. It is only to cover that shortfall um, so that the loss can be investigated and by your time, really, and recovered. Yeah, yeah, directly yeah. from that that deputy who mm. has defaulted. So it can be a valuable um, source of sort of insurance. It's a fallback, mm. which isn't there on on attorneyships. But it's something which is being investigated on attorneyships, isn't it? With this mm. um, attorney bond that has started to creep into the market, I think there's quite an appetite for it because mm. it would make 
it would it would provide that extra level of insurance mm. and a bit more peace of mind, I think, if you are entering into a power of attorney. Yeah, I mean, what about senior Judge Lush's comments mm. a few years ago? Yeah, yeah he was point. keen to uh, to make it clear that he wouldn't be happy to have um, a, to have an LPA. He would much rather have the oversight of the court um, and that insurance, which is provided when you have a deputy. And there is some a, a lot of merit to that. Mm. Yeah, he was he was pretty certain in his position, wasn't he? I think he said he, he categorically would not was. have a yeah. Uh, lasting power of attorney. You can kind of see why, can't you? You know, with with, a, with a, an LPA, okay, the greatest thing that it gives is flexibility. Um, whilst you've got capacity and it gives choice, yeah. Um, but equally, you don't now have to notify anybody when it's true when it's registered. I think there's also the problem as well that they are so accessible that mm-hmm. if you are drafting one yourself. Very easy to get wrong. Very easy to get yeah. wrong, and then it's it's not usable in the way that you wanted it to be exactly. at all. You have you appoint both your children jointly. One of them dies, unfortunately and unexpectedly, and you've lost capacity. You can no longer have your daughter Absolutely. acting for you anymore. I think that's probably why Judge Lush came to the conclusions he did. I hate to be a Debbie Downer again about <laughs> the nature of our day to day work, but um, I suppose if you're used to seeing the fallout of this all the time that probably makes you a bit more cautious. Yeah, and I think I, I'd i be more comfortable if somebody were managing my affairs and I knew that they had to report every year mm. to a statutory body who mm. would then look at how my affairs have been managed. I, I'd be comforted yeah, by I think that. So. But equally, the risk that you run with that is that you don't know who your deputy is going to be. <laughs> we, we've said, you know, anybody can be a deputy, pretty much, over the age of 18, yeah, having yeah. capacity. Yeah. There are some restrictions around, you know, whether or not you would get a security bond if you were made a bankrupt, etc. But, you know, by large, anybody. Mm. Um, is there anything that can, can you do a letter of wishes that says, you know, I specifically don't want an LPA? I'm not going to make one because I'm not comfortable with the lack of reporting and um, accountability and supervision necessarily around it. And I, if anything happens, I know that I'll need a deputy and I'd like Bob. Poor Bob. Yeah, <laughs> you absolutely can. It's not binding, unfortunately, much like any letter of wishes isn't binding. But that ties in, doesn't it, with having those conversations with your family and your friends ahead of time making it clear to them, I would like you to do this for me if I'm no longer able to make decisions myself and I don't want to have a power of attorney for these reasons. Um, which will then mean that the conversation can have been had with the notif- with people who are going to be told about the application so that everybody's happy with it before it gets to the court. And it doesn't come to a sh- as a shock to anyone. Yeah. Hmm. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I think as British people, we're very inclined to not, not talk about things quite a lot of the time. <laughs> and I think probably one of our key takeaways from doing this is that it generally benefits people for this to be talked about more openly more often we keep banging on about this don't we we just need to not be so closed (laughs) (laughs) yeah we need to be more of an open book about what we want Mm, okay um so how how do you how do you become a deputy how does it work how do you get a deputy ship how does how do you do it um, in short, it's a it's an application to the court. Um, it's a paper application, um, a bit more complex than the uh, lasting power of attorney documents. Unfortunately, uh, you do have to fill in a lot of forms, um, and 
provide witness statements and things like that. You, probably a good idea to seek some advice if it's something you're do you looking to do. Do you need to know about the person? Do you need to know what assets they've got? Uh, ideally, yes. Um, you could you can make an application without certain information, but it would make it less likely that it would go through, I imagine. Um, a lot of the time, if a local authority is making an application, it's a bit different. Um, but if you're applying on behalf of somebody, you essentially want to provide the court with as much information as you can to ensure that they are able to make a decision with all the relevant information. So you want to be, when we fill out these forms, we're providing full and comprehensive information about somebody's finance, mm. income streams, outgoing expenditure, capital assets, savings, investments, um, you know, interested parties. You need to know as much as you can about that person because the court doesn't make these decisions lightly. They need to, they are ultimately restricting somebody's freedoms by doing this. So they need to be sure that all the information there is right to proceed. I think it's fair to say the court were also looking at competency to Absolutely. as well, aren't they? You know, if yeah. the court um, sees an application form which, you know, somebody has um, a very complex estate or, or maybe even a complex family arrangement, mm -hmm. um, they're going to want some reassurance that the individual that they're potentially going to order be appointed is able to do the job. It's worth saying that the deputy also needs, the potential deputy rather, does need to provide information about themselves as well. Yeah. Um, quite a lot of information, actually. It can be quite invasive. Um, but again, the court needs to be satisfied that you're an appropriate person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's um, And so paper application, fill in the forms and send it to the court and say it? We've missed a crucial point there, actually, I should mention. Uh, the Obviously, the key the key difference, one, I say one of the key differences between the, a deputyship and a, and a power of attorney is that a deputyship can only be sought after somebody's lost capacity. So the key decision, you shouldn't be going anywhere with this until you know whether somebody has lost capacity. So that's your first point of call, really. You need to be getting a formal capacity assessment. And it's not a case of, oh, you know, Mrs. Smith next door has known so-and-so for a few years. Can we just get her to, to do an assessment? You but need to get a But that's perfectly possible on an LPA, isn't it? Mrs. It is, Smith yeah. next door yeah, can yeah, say yeah. that I've got capacity to grant the lasting power of attorney. Well, exactly that. That's one of the options, isn't it? Is, if you've known somebody for two years, do you uh, can you ask this person these questions and agree that they've got capacity? Um, I've, actually, never, I've never really thought of it, of <laughs> it like that. But actually, yeah, you've, you've just put that in yeah, my mind. But yeah. that, that's absolutely... It's, it's, yeah, it's good. What we're what we're concluding, I think, here is accidentally that LPAs are maybe rubbish and that we should all have deputyships <laughs> instead. Um, well, we would say that, wouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would say that. Um, it's probably fair at this point to point out that if you make the application on Monday, you're not going to have the order by Friday. This is a good point. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the court is. Um, is that this year <laughs> or, or next year? Maybe, maybe next the year. year. After. I think the average turnaround time for a cause protection deputyship application at the moment is 26 weeks. Roughly. And bearing in mind that's when you submit it. Yeah. So it take and it's a qu quite a complex application. It takes time to put it together. Yeah. And also you've got to get a capacity assessment that takes time. And when it comes out the other end, when you've got the order, it's not a case of you send you post it off to HSB in Halifax and you know by the yeah. end of the week you've got all the cash. It's far from it. I wish, but I have to say that in all of my years of practicing, and that's only a few, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I have probably 
only ever seen an application go through in the sort of 20 odd weeks on a handful of occasions. Yeah. I was going to say, it's I mean, I think it's really salient to point out at the moment that we have and we are still living through an international pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as many of us have ended up working from home, as have the court staff, yeah. it is still paper based. Yeah. Um, the they, they are battling with resource issues um working like any from public home, body like all of <laughs> us and any public body um is is it you know on the constraints of that even more so so i think 26 weeks i think that's ambitious. optimistic yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's optimistic ambitious yeah definitely um i think you've really got to bear that in mind yeah because we do get the inquiries where people have that I'm going to say it's a typical situation because it is very common. Um, you know, somebody has become ill, they've gone into hospital, weeks have passed, they're discharged from hospital into a care home. And quite often, because there is something called the property disregard in place, there isn't quite as much pressure in terms of having to pay for care fees necessarily mm, yeah. or larger sums for care fees and family pop their head in the sand they don't want to think about it they don't want to deal with it and often they don't know what to do mm. um and before you know it four four or five months have passed and we get the call to say i've got to pay my mum's care fees how do i get access to her money or how do i sell the house i've been told i've got to sell the house mm. um we've lost a window of opportunity mm, yeah. of time there and we could be at the back end of the deputyship application and actually we're only just starting mm. and nothing can be done can it so until we get the order you mean in terms of what somebody's allowed to do without one yeah i mean yeah so that, in that this situation you can't sell the house you can't no. access the bank account. nobody has that authority can't yeah. do anything and selling the house it's probably worth noting as well that that's not always the general authority that the court will give a deputy. So if there is even a whisper of that being something which you're going to have to think about as a deputy, you need to be thinking about that when you make the application. So at the start of the 26-week process, the court is aware that you might need to sell a house instead of you remembering at the end. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also, you know, if there's any suggestion, perhaps if that individual, um, and, and in most cases, that individual will be deprived of their liberty, mm. um, if there is any suggestion that that um, is being challenged and that individual wishes to potentially move back home, um, that will extend things because there was there was a big piece of work there to be done in terms of looking at whether or not um, keeping somebody in a residential care home or nursing home is the least restrictive option. So don't automatically assume, I think, in cases where somebody has gone maybe from hospital to care or gone straight into care, that that's where they're going to be. And it's a done deal that you just need to sell the home to pay the care fees. Exactly. It's about making sure that that person's gone to the right yeah, environment absolutely. for them. And actually, there's a bigger piece of welfare work there, which you could end up in further court proceedings so you may not automatically get that order for sale mm. it, it you know it can get very complicated so timing's absolutely key absolutely mm. also the, the court is the court of protection's key focus is they exclusively look after vulnerable people so they do not rush these decisions mm. you know when we're talking about restricting somebody's liberty mm. if somebody is not able to make their own voice heard um 
there is extra care and extra caution taken to ensure that the right decisions are being made. And that does take time. And isn't that really reassuring that you know, if so. we're making these applications, yeah. which have such magnitude for an individual, we want to think that the court who are looking at the, the end process and who are making the final decision are doing so properly and thoroughly. Mm, absolutely. And we've assumed as well that the application will proceed <laughs> because it's not gone contentious we love yeah, that, that don't we <laughs> we love we love the challenge of uh, of, a, of a contentious application it's juicy mm. there we go so when you do make the application you have to notify at least three people when you make any application doesn't matter what it's for it could be very straightforward i say straightforward in quotation marks because the nature of this job is never really that straightforward <laughs> um but you know you've got potentially three or more people being notified of an application that is going to affect a lot of people's lives and that can often rub people up the wrong way mm. uh sometimes necessarily and it's important that that be questioned sometimes unnecessarily but either way you have to go through the process mm. um yeah, and I think that's why, you know, going back to that question of if you're asked or, you know, if you're thinking of becoming a deputy, really do give thought to that because yeah. you've got to think about, you know, if there are perhaps, you know, family relations are a bit fraught. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, are you the right person to be applying? You know, is your brother in Canada who you haven't seen for 25 years going to come and say, no, no, not happy with that? You've got to give consideration to... Would anybody object? You know, yeah. who, who would everybody be comfortable and happy with this? And it's always, I always think it's better to have those conversations up front. Definitely. Mm, absolutely. Rather You'll than save time just in the somebody long run. get a, you know, post one morning and there's this letter saying, oh, you've been notified that I've applied to be so-and-so's deputy. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I suppose that's a whistle-stop tour through our thoughts on deputyships. Um what are our kind of what can we what can we do as takeaway points? Are there some takeaway points that we can give people listening who find themselves in this situation? Yeah, I suppose my takeaway from this one was um, that myth buster and the, uh, the misconception that you will have authority to look after your loved ones' affairs purely by being their next of kin or their their husband or wife, um, and that that that's just simply not true. Yeah. Um, and you need to realize that to have legal authority to act for somebody else you either need to be in the position of an attorney or appointed by the court um, and that's really relevant not only in terms of spouses but also for parents who've got children who perhaps they have sustained a brain injury at birth um, or in their early years and you've been looking after them and dealing with their affairs as they're your child as they reach 18 that authority as a parent ceases um, and you need to give consideration as to how you're going to carry on in that role post 18 which I think actually opens up a can of worms into a completely mm. different next podcast time. <laughs> next time well maybe not next time but maybe the time after yeah definitely there's a there's a whole kind of transitioning from um, childhood through to adulthood yeah. and, and managing Absolutely. yeah brilliant thanks um Lauren um I would just really press how big a job it is to be a deputy, um, is what I'd say. It's all-consuming, comprehensive. We obviously comprehensive. did something terrible in a former life. Which is <laughs> <laughs> I always say this, I hate doing my own life admin, and yet here I am doing it for a yeah. job for other people. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big pair of shoes to It is, to fill, so it, don't uh, take it on lightly. Mm, absolutely. I think, from my point of view, it's timing. You know, if you are in a situation where a family member is losing capacity, it may not be too late. So 
jump on it straight away, do something about it, because they may still be able to do that lasting power of attorney. But if they're not, actually mm. get the ball rolling with your deputy ship mm. application. Um if one's needed, you know, if it's concluded that you need one, because the timescales involved are are very long and mm. horrific. And there's an awful lot that needs to be done and you simply can't do it until you've got that order. Absolutely. Yeah. Just a little disclaimer for you all. Um, this is not a substitute for proper legal advice. Um, and if you have got any queries about anything or want to explore anything further, this has been informal um, for you for information, but by all means, reach out to somebody professionally for their assistance right thank you for listening to episode three of the copcast you've been listening to lucy taylor rebecca bristow and minor at she smiths in the quarter protection team um, we hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'd love to see you hear you again next time thank you